Hey y'all, welcome to Ain't No Such Thing, where we tell original southern horror stories. My name is Amanda, and I got one I'm gonna tell you right now. Crybaby Bridge A kiss is electroshock in strobe light, a hot spark to ignite the simple will to breathe. And that's all Sam wanted on the lunch wave earlier that gray winter day. This one human need and its fiery consummation detonated her entire world and left her driving in tears down a desolate old country road, the object of her kiss crying violently in the back seat of the rusted-out Ford Maverick bequeathed to her by her pawpaw. In that midnight hour, the cold moon was full and bright. At school, she and Michelle snuck into a portable to escape Jimmy Onderdonk's constant comments about her butt and his uninvited intentions for it. Cross-legged on the cold floor beneath the three-legged teacher's desk, they shared a cigarette, tales of asshole dads, and moments of warm eye contact. Michelle resisted the mile-high bangs and white girl perms of the day, but flaunted the jagged, pixie-length badassery of Jet and Benatar over sharp blue eyeshadow and a little too much rouge. At 16, Sam's parents maintained the same no-makeup policy they had marched out in the fourth grade, she felt so left behind before Michelle's mid-80s counterculture chic, but Michelle made her feel just as cool and just as hot. The flavor of Michelle's breath lingered on the butt of the cool smoke they passed, and Sam savored it more than the menthol erupting through the filter. She stopped exchanging it and put it to Michelle's mouth with her own fingers to more efficiently pull it back to hers with saliva intact. Without breaking her gaze, Sam crushed the last bit on the dirty tile to extinguish it. Can I kiss you? She asked, eyes burning the oxygen between them. Michelle said nothing, leaned in to answer with action, and Mr. Huffman walked in. An afternoon of assistant principal admonishment and parental embarrassment pushed into an evening of threats of divine retribution and all-too-human punishments. After all judges, juries, and executioners adjourned to sleep in replenishment of their anger stores, Sam retrieved her keys, found Michelle sob-smoking on the cable box at the head of her road, and whisked her away. To where? She didn't know. Just away. All that for a kiss. Sam didn't even know if she liked girls. She liked Michelle. And she wanted to kiss, so she did. Their lockers would be emblazoned lesbian in whiteout, and all other girls would call them names learned only from fathers insecure about their own damn preferences. All for a kiss. Sam slung her right arm into the back seat to grasp Michelle's tear-soaked fingers. I'm sorry, Michelle, she said earnestly. I didn't mean for all this to happen. Michelle intertwined their fingers in perfect slot-for-slot hand-holding arrangement. Not your <laughs> fault. Michelle managed. Sam turned to look her in the eye and attempted a smile, and at that the Maverick's front end fell out from under it and struck something solid and unmoving below, flipping the rear into a momentary straight line before rolling deliberately forward onto its top. She missed the turn and hit the ditch at Dead Man's Curve. Not fast, but fast enough. Sam's seatbelt suspended her slightly above the crushing roof of the car, 
but she bled hard from her forehead and nose after impact with the steering wheel. She couldn't maneuver to see Michelle in the back seat, but before her, something big had broken through the windshield. It was gone. Panicked, Sam momentarily forgot how to unlatch a seatbelt. Her fingers skirted the edge of the button release before accidentally pressing it and falling indelicately onto her neck. She rolled to her left side and wiggled through the open driver's side window. Michelle! She called before she was even halfway out. Michelle! A cold, wet cough seeped from beneath the trunk. Realization walked with Sam to the rear of the still-hot car. Her hand clasped to her mouth in fear of what she was about to see. The tire there turned uselessly, just a homing beacon for the crushed and spilling body of Michelle below it. Momentum had thrown her through the windshield and into the dirt across the ditch, and the falling car seesawed the back bumper into her abdomen, all but severing her at the middle. Michelle met Sam's gaze, tried to speak, but only pushed dark blood out with her tongue. Her eyes were dilated and terrified. Sam kneeled, held her face, and tried to talk to her through their shared blood-choked tears. I'll get help, she said. Sam stood to run but faltered. Her head hurt. And now she couldn't remember which direction they'd come from. Identical avenues of trees and moonlight disappeared into the night in both directions. The futile confusion pulled tears of helplessness from her eyes and she stained them with bloody fingers and dropped again to her knees. A few minutes of dabbing sleeves and shallow breaths restored her vision, and her eyelids unveiled an unbreathing, relieved Michelle, eyes reflecting Sam's face back at her in moonbeams. There was a voice within that gaze, Michelle's voice, and it was grateful in its silent appreciation of what they had shared. Sam crawled to her, brushed a few hairs from her forehead, and kissed her there. Let's get you home. She whispered in the closest ear. A light came on in the woods to her left, a lurking green-yellow, eking around and between the mossy trunks maybe fifty feet beyond the ditch. Sam's chest clinched in startlement, and she squinted into the source to find the wielder. I need help, she called. My friend is hurt bad over here. The light moved rightward, yet always behind a piece or the hole of a tree. Sam's heartbeat, already at escape velocity, somehow gained in ferocity, and that worsened the knifing pain at the back of her skull. She clutched at it, and stood without losing the light in the forest. It pulled away as she rose and she saw that it hovered bodiless above the needles and leaves of old Calioca. But she noticed too that its rays betrayed the shadow of an unseen man. The silhouette stretched overlong, diagonally to her left, resting equally upon bark and undergrowth. Sam questioned her senses, but not her desperate need for help. Please, she implored. I just need a phone to call 911. But the light and its tailing shadows shrank into the trees with every word. Sam followed. Maybe he was a local who just didn't want to get involved, or maybe he chanced upon their wreck while up to no good and thus couldn't reveal himself to help. Either way, he was the only other soul in sight, and she couldn't let him get away. Sam threaded a path to the lantern, but it kept the same distance from her no matter how fast she walked or ran, or even if she stopped to clear her eyes or to catch her breath. She was soon adrift in those woods, suspended in mirror image thickets on all sides with only that phantom lamp to steer by. 
Sam lost track of time and place and wondered if she could even lead police or paramedics or whoever found back to what remained of Michelle. A snuffle rose in her nostrils, and the sobs and memories of Michelle's death throes almost returned, but Sam's foot splashed into shallow water and stifled them. A small creek, a moonlit ribbon of silver maybe twenty-five feet across, parted the perpetual forest and separated her from the lantern that waited then on the opposite bank, but the light's companion shadow was gone. In the shade's place on the creek's surface lay an undulating reflection of the invisible guide. His tired and angry eyes looked upside down at her from the water. Ragged gray overalls covered hairless blue-black skin over massive, calloused bare feet. But his muscled arms ended in jagged, handless stumps that braced the light hanging from gritted teeth and bleeding lips. Andy was a giant, his lightness spanning half the creek's width. Terror stifled questions of how and why the apparition existed, and of what it intended for her. Trauma spirited Sam well beyond the normal concepts of reason. The head on the water held her gaze, nodded sideways into the woods opposite. The hovering light shook gently with the suggested motion. Sam tried to think, tried to decide what to do, but the fear spawned ringing in her ears overwhelmed all faculties of judgment, and she obediently splashed into the lazy currents. They never reached past her knee as she half-stepped her way across, and she wouldn't have noticed anyway. Her vision blurred off and on since striking the steering wheel, and the control of her thoughts came and went. Her bleary eyes never left the retreating lantern gliding along the creek bank, still at the same distance it preserved since finding her, still dragging the backpedaling echo of the inverted and watching amputee in its wake. He waited for her when she slowed or fell, and he led her around tree falls and pitfalls of their path. He was all that kept her from surrendering to the night and the hurt and the loss of Michelle. Untold steps and minutes later, an untended railroad trestle approached above, and some distance beyond it, a collapsed bridge severed by the creek in half a century of time. Each side of the old road reached for the other through the empty creek air, joined only by a sound. Not the babble of the waters, no. It drowned beneath a noise too urgently human. The whimpers of a child, hollow and seemingly present all about them, but only audible when Sam looked into the space between the ended roads that were once one. The cries wantonly rose and fell in frequency and volume, as fluctuated the distress of the absent baby. They set off that need to soothe so innate in the empathic human. Sam glanced about to find the child and help it, realized the lantern stopped and that she then stood adjacent to it. Shared in its yellow-green tint, she saw the seven-foot man gripping it in his teeth and looking down on her from seven feet with then pleading eyes. He was not a fleshly thing, formed instead from the sickly light of the lamp itself. She saw through his flimsy substance to the water adjacent where even his familiar reflection held more solidity than the ghost image next to her. His eyes turned up to the space beneath the bridge long since gone, and they didn't move again. Sam followed his stare, reclaimed the baby's cries, peered past the ruined overpass to see an intact and modern bridge ahead. It was the road, the real road, and she would reach it.
She gave not another glance to the towering hallucination behind her and trudged into the breach of the old span. The cries loudened, focused to a point as she drew near, coalesced into a sound just before her, and then at the entrance to each ear, then into the core of her very head. It was the baby's voice at first, that same tinny squeal of need emitted from every leaf and droplet and molecule moments earlier, but it changed as it settled in her mind. The miserable presence rewound the soundtrack of her pain from her own hemorrhaging wails through the night's march to the end on the sustained loop of Michelle's choking death sobs. The tormented cries overwrote rational thought, blocked out intentional behavior. Sam slobbed toward the road on autopilot, hoping to leave the torturous sounds behind, but she was their vessel then, vehicle to the agony of lost child and friend and innocence. She scrabbled up the embankment to the asphalt above, reduced to animalistic clawing and kicking to move her along beneath the noise racking what remained of her brain. A slip near the top twisted her to face the way she came, but the lantern and its holder were gone. His mission accomplished. The lost baby's cries attended. He and his light dimmed back to nothingness. Another grasping lunge brought Sam to the cement bridge rail, and she hoisted herself up, flat onto the blacktop. The unrelenting forest persisted across the bridge, but a hint of light pierced the green-black layers to call to her. She half-crawled, half-walked north the full length of the bridge, and then along the road a few hundred yards to a dirt road splitting right. The reflexive askew street sign read, Oak Grove. The light was clearer there, streaming from a second-story window down that way. At the sight of it, Michelle's taunting, guilt-drenched cries gave way again to the baby's helpless siren, louder then. Sam sealed her ears with flat palms as the weeping voices propelled her to the house. She screamed to drown them out, or at least she tried to, but she felt every scraping syllable, every exploding vowel of those wavering utterances pushed out of her skull. Each was a massive stroke in microcosm, relieved only when a second light awoke in the adjacent window of the broad plantation-style home laid beneath the moon before her. In that second window, a woman, or at least the silhouette of a woman, blew out a match over a freshly lit candle on the sill. As she came into view, the cry stilled to snuffling whispers, and Sam's pace quickened. She needed to get there before the bawling furor reignited in full stereo. Twin candle flames watched her stumbling advance like the pupils of some Halloween god, and their progenitor disappeared behind their intersecting halos. Sam staggered past one last tree, and the lady was there, waiting in moon-glow white on the high-columned porch, her face featureless, her dress formless, her hands extended in opposing, upturned cups to receive an infant to an experienced clutch. The babe's cry started again, but blessedly, outside Sam's head, again emanating from all spaces around them en route to the mother's arms. The sound crossed the yard like the digits of a maestro glided over every key of the piano in that trademark ascending flourish. And then he was there. The coddled child in the once empty hands, his head just open mouth on swiveling fuzzy sphere. The first candle, 
the one that had summoned Sam from the bridge, extinguished. A glance there and back, and mother and child were gone. The night relinquished only to the hushed, receding tones of a crying baby from inside the plantation rooms. That maternal relief gave Sam breath again, and even as she inhaled, she realized she couldn't hear Michelle anymore, and she missed her desperately in that suddenly silent void. Sam dropped to sit in the grass of the oak grove plantation and wiped at her eyes to wonder at the remaining candle flame. Can I kiss you? Michelle asked behind her. Sam exhaled without warning, turned to find Michelle sitting there, grinning, all moon glow white. Sam said nothing, leaned in to answer with action, and the last candle went out. You've been listening to Ain't No Such Thing, Cry Baby Bridge, written by Kevin Laporte, narrated and produced by Amanda Rachels. Be sure you check out our previous episode where we discuss the urban legend and the origins of crybaby bridges. You might have one in your town. In our next release, we're going to do a deep dive and discussion on the urban legend of Bloody Mary. If you enjoyed Ain't No Such Thing and you want to keep listening, well, you need to go subscribe, y'all. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and other major podcasting platforms. I'd love it if you'd like and subscribe wherever you are. And if you want to interact with us, please come join our Facebook group. We're at facebook.com slash groups slash ain't no such thing. If you'd tell a friend, that would make me supremely happy. And it helps our podcast grow. We'll be releasing regular content on Mondays. And we'll also have occasional Thursday releases. So you need to make sure you subscribe. Get all you can. All characters, content, and situations, copyright Inverse Press, 2019, all rights reserved.